Welcome to Cinda Podcast. Welcome back to Cinda Podcast. My name is Johnny Shank, and I'm the curation lead with Cindependent Film Festival. It's been a few weeks since our last episode, but the Cindependent team has been staying busy to catch you up on some highlights from the start of the year over here. Uh, festival submissions opened for a 2024 festival on January 1st, and submissions have been rolling in. We've already begun submission review. We're doing little detail work that you do with the film festival, like grant writing, fund raising. We are preparing to walk in the Bachfest Parade here in Cincinnati in a couple weeks, and we're going to be dressed up like big popcorn boxes. So be on the lookout for huge mobile popcorn boxes. Uh, as a festival, we have also been out at the movies this year. On January 1st, we had a special local filmmaker screening at the Woodward Theater, organized and led by Silas Tibbs, the director of Attrition, and his film Attrition was featured alongside four other short films made by Cincinnati directors, and that was a special uh, evening of connecting and, and celebrating our scene. We also recently had a Sindependent-led screening of The Sweet East, the hot new dark comedy, I guess you could call it, uh, from Sean Price Williams, and we were joined by the writer of the film, Nick Pinkerton, again at the Woodward Theater. Nick grew up in Cincinnati, so it was kind of a homecoming event for him. We had a full house for the screening, a great Q&A afterwards. People stuck around for, some people stuck around for conversation at Motor Pub across the street. Um, that was a lot of fun. And we are moving into a series of upcoming screenings as well, um, which uh, keep an eye out for, for more details. Um, for now, I can say that we will be at the Esquire in March. Details coming soon. For the next few episodes, I'll be passing the reins to 700WLW broadcaster and independent board president, Jack Crumley. Jack has some great stuff coming up on the show, and he is very good hands for an audio production such as this one to be in. So I'm looking forward to hearing what Jack has cooked up for us on the episode today. And with that, I will hand it off to the best voice in the biz, Jack Crumley. Thank you, Johnny Shank. Hi, everybody. My name is Jack Crumley. I am the board president for the Independent Film Festival. I'm also the news director at 700 WLW in Cincinnati. Uh, former co-host of the uh, defunct, or at least on long-term hiatus, uh, podcast script shop that uh, we did with uh, Allison West and Frank Steele for several years interviewing filmmakers. It's nice to be back in the podcast chair. It's nice to be back to talking to people about movies, and uh, happy to bring this uh, section to you this time, this edition of Cinda podcast. You know, we had such a great 
Film Festival for Sindependent in 2023. Uh, coming off that, our big return, we are working now with other film organizations in the city of Cincinnati. Uh, it's really great to see these partnerships grow and develop, and we got a lot of plans for the coming year. And one of the things we're doing now is really interacting with other film organizations to put on events all throughout the year. Uh, the Over the Rhine International Film Festival brought in Elvis Mitchell earlier this month in February. Uh, Elvis Mitchell is a film critic. He's the host of The Treatment on KCRW in Los Angeles. He's a film scholar. He is an all-around great guy, really humble, really interesting cat. And he wrote, directed, and narrated a documentary called Is That Black Enough for You? that came out in 2022. It's a doc about the history of black film from like the start of American movies into about the late 70s when he finally cuts it off. It's a, it is a comprehensive list of movies that were starring and at times written and produced by black Americans, whether they were working in studios, whether they had the support of studios or not. Uh, it's got a bunch of great interviews uh, with Lawrence Fishburne. He talks to Samuel L. Jackson. He talks to Whoopi Goldberg. He talks to Billy D. Williams. He talks to Harry Belafonte. I think that Elvis mentioned that he got the last interview with Harry Belafonte before he passed away and Harry is electric in the documentary. It's a great documentary. It's on Netflix right now. Uh, you should check it out. It's got a hundred percent review on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. It, it, it's killer. You should check it out. You will learn about movies that you've never heard about and it will make you want to see so many other things. Uh, he was on Mark Marin's WTF podcast and said that he initially wanted to do a book, but he couldn't find anybody to publish it. So he, he made this documentary. It is so good as a film. And the OTR Film Festival brought him in. Uh, they hosted a screening at the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center here in Cincinnati. Uh, OTR Film Festival artistic director T.T. Sternenzi hosted a Q&A after the screening. I had a nice time talking with him at the event. It was a really nice all-around evening. And we were lucky enough to talk to Elvis after that screening, get his thoughts on the whole event, and uh, find out some more from him. Uh, myself and uh, fellow board member Sean Bittner-Kearney uh, were able to talk to Elvis Mitchell. Here's uh, that little exchange right now. So, you know, having seen this film, I'm a little bit younger than you are, and uh, sorry, that's just, I was born in the 80s and came up in the 80s, and I was curious about, first, is there a part two for you? Is there a post-1978, because you start getting into black exploitation genre that's a little more self-aware and parody with Marlon Wayans and uh, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker and uh, some of the uh, Black Dynamite, some of the more self-aware parodic elements. Is there, is, is there a part two for this for you? I'm sure there could be several. I mean, I don't know if anybody wants that for me. I'm sure there... In fact, I know that people, other people are making movies about this. Um, I know that. I think Reggie Hovland has one that's coming up. And Justin Simeon has one because he interviewed me for his film. So I'm, my hope is that this basically just opens up a wellspring of these movies to ask these kinds of questions and pose these kinds of um, commentaries on what was and was not in those films. Yeah, it's good. I mean, because even, you know, getting into genre stuff now, uh, speaking of Netflix, they clone Tyrone, The Harder They Fall. Those are very genre-specific films. And so is Dolomite. You know, they, they really read more biography film. In fact, I couldn't put any Dolomite stuff in this because they got to it before I was able to make this movie. I was wondering so, about yeah, that. So, and, so I, I think there's now maybe a whole sub subgenre of, of films both fiction films and documentaries on, on this topic. Yeah, that's great. Anybody, you guys got any? So you reference your grandmother so much throughout the film and the talk back. What do you think she would think of this film? 
Why are you wasting your time on that? Go get a real job. <laughs> I think she would go. I think she, yeah, because again, like that generation of people who felt like they were left out of the movies. I mean, I think she'd be happy that I'm working. Well, they paid you money for it. That's, so that's not bad. I, I think she'd be happy that I did this. So she, I think it's a little shallow. I think you're underestimating it. Yeah, what a lovely sentiment, the, you know, opening with her line about movies teaching her how to dream and all that. That's just, that's a really lovely piece. No, that's one of the things that stuck with me my whole life when yeah. she said that to me. I thought, wow. I was like seven or eight when she said it, and I thought, yeah. I mean, if you're of a certain generation, you're not seeing movies or TV as a kid. You're seeing them when you lived your life. And to see something like Dracula and have it scare you, it makes you think back to... A movie about xenophobia, by the way. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh, yes. And, but you think back to the Great Train Robbery and how people jumped out of their seats when they thought a train was coming at them because they hadn't seen movies before. So, yeah, I mean, that was... That's, I think the thing, to your question, I think she would be intrigued by it because in her way she taught me to be a critical thinker because she just, in effect, in asking that question what Andy Griffith said... What is not there, and why is it not there? Which is what criticism is. Thank you very much. Cool guy, right? Really smart, really self-effacing, uh, really great guy. Uh, so having heard that now, for this uh, podcast segment, I am joined by some of my Syndependent friends. Uh, board member, huge movie fan, Melissa Iwu, and Syndependent board member, uh, independent filmmaker, David Chimasoro, who did a short called Our Baby Knows from 2021. We were all at the screening. David had dinner with Elvis the night before. Uh, talked to him about that. I wanted to get their thoughts just on the whole thing, how it all went. Uh, so here we go. So yeah, this is the show. We were uh, all in that little theater at the uh, at the Underground Railroad Freedom Center back uh, earlier this month seeing the movie. Did you guys have a nice time? I definitely did. And the film was captivated, even though it was my second time watching it. Watched it earlier in the week and I was still on the edge of my seat with every second of it when we watched it in the theater. Yeah, it was it was cool. Uh, I think it was like very interesting for me as a filmmaker. It's particularly just like as a, as a black film, filmmaker who has... Um, kind of made an emphasis in my career to kind of tell black stories to kind of like, while part of my desire into entering into the film space is feeling like there is a giant space for the hope that I have in filmmaking that's missing. And that film was kind of re- uh, almost like a, he- a, a history lesson that felt like, oh no, like black film has existed. We all come from somewhere and there's just this larger genealogy and this larger sauce that as a black filmmaker that I'm a part of, which is really, really cool. Like it's like, it almost feels like it was like uncovering a little bit of a forgotten history. That was just like, I had, I'd never heard of some of these movies and I'd seen like references of them in some of my favorite stuff. So it was just like a really cool, like genealogy as a filmmaker for me to be able to say, Oh yeah, now this is, I come from somewhere. Yeah. I'd seen classics, you know, like your love Joneses and things like that, but it was just like, Oh no, they're, there has been this undercurrent of black stories in black film that has existed since the very beginning of this thing. And that movie, is that black enough for you kind of felt like that for me. So that was really cool. Yeah. When I was in, uh, when I was in college, I remember I took a history class and the professor was, he was of Korean descent. And basically on the first day of class, he's like, look, you guys grew up going to high school, probably a lot of you in public school. And like, you know, about European colonization, blah, blah, blah. He's like, we're not going to get into any of that. And that, that whole semester focused on stuff like the history between Korea and Japan and, and, and China and all sorts of stuff that none of us as teenagers ever really learned about. And I think to a certain extent, this felt the same way where there was, I mean, he covered like, it was like 150 
150 films that he referenced in this thing? That's it. And it's, it's 150 films over what might be a hundred year period, which is kind of crazy. Like to, again, these things have been in front of us and have existed. And these are stories that were being told with scale. Like it's usually like black stories aren't necessarily, uh, attached to the idea of scale and you're like, Oh no, 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 no. This has existed for a while. It's like, yeah, 150 films. Like there is this giant, yeah. Under undercurrent and very influential one at that. Um, like even just the contributions of black film to the idea of like how we digest the film soundtrack and how music has always been kind of like our ability to, to not necessarily like it was the most accessible way to be able to tell our stories how we've added to the commercialization, the maximized uh, commercialization of film and the film market without actually being given a whole lot of credit for it. Because like movies have always found themselves, especially like movies have always propped up the music industry in that way. And it's kind of crazy to think like, no, nah, we were a really big part of that. And we don't really get celebrated as such, which is kind of crazy. I agree 100%. Um, the documentary did highlight how black films kind of influence the larger um, Hollywood pictures where it came to making sure that their soundtrack was as up to par as the movie itself and how that influenced the rest of the industry. So I 100% agree. Yeah, the whole idea of taking a soundtrack and releasing it before the film as a promotional tool, that I, I, I had no mm -hmm. idea what the history of that was. And it's crazy. It's like with film being considered like the concert of all art forms and it's like you start to ask questions about like why aren't certain things allowed to exist in uh, in the mass commercial space? Like even just like the movie Love Jones, like the fact that Theodore Witcher only made that one movie and it is that's the only movie that he's ever gotten to make and it is maybe the most influential black film of the last 30 years. And, you can, and as we're seeing, uh, I think the breakdown particularly of the Hollywood studio system. And I think we're, I, I personally, I think we're about to enter into another age of like, just, I think it's going to be more city centric, independent filmmaking, but it is very much like we're entering into a completely new chapter in this thing. And we've never really been allowed to be like, we've never really gotten the super crazy support from the studio system, but we've always, again, found a way to be able to be in it. But now as the industry has still kind of slow, been slow to start since the shutdown, it's going to be very fascinating to see what this next chapter kind of looks like, especially post pandemic, post George, uh, post George Floyd, post everything really. It's like, it feels like there is this giant breakdown of not necessarily just all institutions, but like how we view institutions that have always served us and given us our media, our stories or whatever, all of that is changing. And if the current studio system and the institutions have almost intentionally kept stories like this down, then it might be a good thing that things are changing. I think it's, and it's really, really kind of cool, especially with the movie to just kind of see like, again, like if I, I think in my personal journey, I've always wanted this idea of like somebody to come and give me a shot and you're all, and I'm kind of having to realize like, no, you're constantly giving yourself your own shot and then something breaks and then something just kind of happens. Honestly, somebody like, but it's like, 
either it gets seen for a while. That was the cool thing about about even the film for me that was very reaffirming is there is a point where you when you enter into the league, you enter into the major leagues and you enter into that larger commercial space. And my hope, especially after watching that, was like this actually gets to stick around for a while. Like yeah. like these influences that we've given to such a beloved art form actually get to see the light of day. Well, and you're in a really unique position as far as being a filmmaker yourself. And, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, claim to have that much of an understanding of this dynamic of like, well, you know, just give me a shot. Well, make it happen yourself. Like that's got to be sort of a weird struggle, I think, particularly uh, being a black filmmaker. But and, and, and I'm very curious about your evening because mm-hmm. you had dinner with Elvis the night before and I, I'm very curious yeah, I to did. yeah yeah I'm curious to find out about that but I I, I want to pivot back just for one second to ask about something Melissa brought up that I also was sort of in the vein of because you mentioned that this was the second time that you watched this documentary at the screening that uh, that we had in Cincinnati earlier this month and it, it, it was my second time watching it too and one of the things that Elvis himself brought up a few times in the talk back afterwards. He was, you know, sort of openly joking about apologizing for how long it felt. And it is, it, the, the movie's over two hours long. And he, he, again, he references a ton of stuff. But did you feel like it was, like it was like long, especially having seen it two times? I felt it wasn't long enough. It, we covered so much in just that two hour period that it, we could have covered so much more. And me coming from only watching maybe 140 of the 150 films, there was, I have a whole new list of items that I'd have to research, a whole new list of films that will spark my interest or spark some sort of new um avenue where I can really enjoy and really um, appreciate the history when it comes to um, black films in Hollywood over the decade or over the, um, the century. Yeah. Do you, do you, is there stuff that you have in your list? Have you seen anything, uh, since the screening? Um, the one that I really want to see is the one that is Symbio Cyclo. Does anyone know how to say the full title of that film? Oh, that psychosexual taxidermy, whatever one. Yes, but he, he is. I mentioned in the film how pivotal that was to to um, to black films of the 1970s and how that really fed into Hollywood. And I would like to really see what he was um, discussing in in person or by watching the film. I and, and I agree. Like I felt like the movie wasn't long enough because it was like if you even look at eras, like we hit. We he didn't even get to get into the 90s for real. Right. He didn't even like, and also like the introduction of hip hop and hip hop culture to America. Like that was a very, like, I mean, it started in the eighties and seventies, but like the nineties is where that happened. And that definitely translated into the appetite that came out of the, the appetite for film that came out of the time, even the appetite for the kind of images people want to see both good and bad because the studios were still bankrolling some things, but it was like a very particular thing that people wanted to see or the studios wanted to see. So no, nah, I think it was like, I, I don't think it was long enough. Like you guys ever seen the show, uh, hip hop evolution on Netflix? I have not. Hmm. Okay. So hip hop evolution is literally a history lesson on hip hop featuring people like DJ cool Herc, who is, who is credited as the founder of hip hop. Like hip, uh, hip hop started at DJ cool, uh, Herc's hip and hop party that he was basically as a fundraiser for his apartment building. And he was a DJ who had basically realized that in the beat breaks is where people danced all the time. So instead of playing the whole song, he basically just started scratching in between the beat breaks yeah. and people started doing that whole thing. And that's literally an entire culture that was born. And 
And they do, I mean, Netflix does such an incredible job of just like in telling the story and then you're hearing the story from the people who were there. Like you did, like people don't even know that hip hop had a founder or someone that's credited as an inventor. Yeah. And this guy is still alive and still here. And it's, and they, and they go into it by region because hip hop, hip hop is a very rich, is a very regional genre. It changes based on, I mean, just like film. So personally, Netflix give Elvis Mitchell a call because I need more of that because it was like in a, in two and a half hours, even if it's at 150 films, it's like, bro, we're just getting two minutes. We're just on. getting started. We're just getting started. This is an appetizer. Yeah. Uh, that movie you were talking about, Melissa, was Symbio Psycho Taxi Plasm Take One, 1968 uh, film by William Greaves. And yeah, that was that looked wild. Uh, speaking of... <laughs> stories and, and, and getting the story from somebody. You had dinner with Elvis Mitchell the night before. What sort of stories did you get from him? What what was that evening like? It, it, it wasn't just a one-on-one thing, right? You were in a part of a group? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was cool. It was like, uh, shout out to my man TT uh, from the OTR Film Festival for kind of, for hey, just being the reason that I got to be in that room in the first place. Um, and it was really just kind of like cool just getting to like, A, get a feel for this guy in real, in real time. It's like, oh, no, this is a really cool dude. I mean, I started just by, because he's from Detroit, so started by joking about the Detroit Lions' loss in the <laughs> NFC Championship. And, you know, that's that's how you win somebody over is make yeah. fun of their favorite team. But it was, it was cool. And uh, it was really just kind of getting to watch, because um, there were a couple other filmmakers, definitely some of the newer ones um, in the city and in the scene, for sure, as far as, like, entering in. And it was definitely fascinating just being able to have what felt like life and film conversations with somebody who has seen this thing at the highest level. And then also just getting to talk about my journey and like certain things that like even in my past, in my journey that um, have felt special, just kind of like even hearing validation from somebody like Elvis Mitchell, like my project, Our Baby Knows, which kind of has been my benchmark project up until this time. We shot that in two days and even he was like, wait, what? And it was just like kind of it was very it very much felt like I'm getting to be in the in a space who is, with someone who is a master of their own specific craft and kind of just getting to like detail my journey as I'm trying to hey like I said enter into the major leagues and kind of like been in this not necessarily middling um, season but definitely kind of like an extended season of like, what does it look like? Particularly even as a black filmmaker in Cincinnati, what does it look like to be able to break into the national market and the national scale? Because part of the thing about being a filmmaker is like, this isn't a film hobby, it's a film business and it's a very extensive one. Like, like filmmakers incur a lot of like personal, financial, emotional risk to be able to do it. And part of it is just being able to see what kind of like, as things start to grow, what are the institutions and structures that make this an actual business so that it is sustainable? And him as an entrepreneur, because you don't just get into this thing because somebody hands it to you, hearing like his own particular journey and how he got to do this and how and how he's found himself where he is and now and also into becoming a filmmaker because that he has that because he's had he has that title to him now. So it's very it was very interesting to be in a very similar space in your journey with 
somebody who is in a completely different stratosphere, though. Like, it's yeah. like this is a man that goes to the Oscars and they ask his opinion right. on them. Is he getting a screener of Our Baby Knows? Uh, yeah, we sent it over to him. We sent it over to him because that was one of the, I mean, that was the cool thing is like even the, as soon as the, fin- the dinner finished, the first thing he was just like, all right, so where can I watch your stuff? Yeah. And that felt like really cool. And I mean, we even get to talk about like a project that I've been working on with Black Owned, which is uh, a fashion, uh, like a streetwear fashion wear um, brand here in Cincinnati. He's been here for a while. He actually went to Black Coffee the next day and they got to hang out at their store and set him up with the documentary that we've been working on with them. So it's like, yeah, like the, uh, the stuff is over there. So now we're just waiting to hear from an Elv- uh, to hear an Elvis Mitchell review of, of the work, which will be crazy. That's, oh, that's really exciting. Good luck. That's extremely cool. Thank you. Thank you. So what does that mean now also for future projects for you in terms of like, you know, having talked to this guy who knows a lot of things and who's got a very well-respected opinion and who produced this, you know, fantastic history of, of, of film, you know, you had an evening with him and, you know, you've got other projects mm-hmm. that you're thinking about. Is there an influence there as far as maybe adjusting course based on what you uh, had to say with him? I mean, I hope so. I mean, it's, I, I look at the journey and part of the journey of being a filmmaker is you just take a lot of stuff day by day. Uh, in the book, uh, story by Robert McKee, like it's one of the, it's for me, it's one of the books that I, whatever I'm in writing mode or even just kind of like need to constantly have my mind refreshed, particularly around the, the process of writing for film and writing for screenplay. There's this idea that he always, in the, like in a movie when he's writing a story arc of like, a false victory and there's a false defeat and a false victory. And like usually in the, in the movie it's like the false victory happens right before the false defeat. And then it kind of like is a forming thing for the character. And in your filmmaking journey, you're going to, I've experienced a lot of false victories and false defeats where yeah. it's like, I, again, that moment where it's like, Oh, I thought this thing was happening and then it didn't. And then it's just part of like the nature of the business because it's just like, Hey, like it is a day by day journey. So I think part of it is like, oh yeah, I mean, would it be awesome to be like get a call from Elvis the next like in next week or whatever? And he's like, I saw it. I want you to come to town. Your day's here, kid. Ten thousand percent. Everybody wants that. But if this is another thing that is just a validator in the journey of being able to say, nah, in this process of building brick by brick, I hope that I don't have to. I'm not trying to build the Taj Mahal brick by brick on my own. But as I'm building this thing, these validators keep coming in. And at some point, like it's the resume speaks for itself. And if the, if the resume that I get to build and I'm building in this time says guys like Elvis Mitchell really, really rocked with what I've done, then as we continue to do the day by day, as we continue to do the writing, as we continue to uh, go through the gauntlet of what it looks like to find support and funding and all that, yeah. I'm, I'm ready for it because I've done it. Like I'm on my sixth project at this point. And I feel like I'm just getting started. So, yeah, I hope I hope that it's not a false victory. It was, and it was, and it's not a false victory. Like it, it was a beautiful and awesome dinner, and got to have a lot of perspective on like just people that get to be in certain rooms and how to be able to use moments like that to propel your career. Because again, propelling a career and self promotion aren't the exact same thing. And I don't really I don't really care for self promotion, but I do want to propel my career. Yeah. And the best way to propel my career is just to be dedicated to the fundamentals that come in every single day and doing the craft and doing the work and knowing that within the audience that I'm getting to build in this time, the, the real ones are the real victories, the ones that like, oh my God, the, those moments that have happened are going to continue to happen. Yeah. 
Uh, actually, Melissa, same question to you as far as, I mean, you know, we talked about the impact on maybe a watch list or certain things that you want to check out. But I mean, after seeing the film twice and uh, going to the screening and the Q&A and everything, is, is there is there a, a, a ripple effect on that from you outside of, of, of things that are on your list? Uh, yes. And actually, I wanted to touch on something that um, David said is he talked about the nature of the business and Elvis touched on that in his film, too, when it comes to finding support and funding for black films such as um, The Wiz. The failure of The Wiz impacted how black media was seen in the industry. And we're seeing that now, too, with HBO and other um, big studios cutting funding for black films. But fortunately, I did see recently that um, producer Easter has secured a new studio so hopefully oh. there'll be more black films and black tv shows that we can see that, could, that, that i can add to my list um mm-hmm. so i'm looking forward to what we have in store hopefully we have a, a huge new wave of new black media to look forward to well and there's an interesting element as far as you know we were talking about sort of the state of the industry right now and uh, post-covid and the uh, explosion of, of technology and streaming at home and how vertically integrated so much of this is and there's such a parallel to what mm-hmm. happened with Hollywood back in the 40s before there was a big Supreme Court ruling that meant you know studios weren't allowed to be as vertically integrated anymore and in terms of that would meant you know the studio makes the movie they put it in the theaters that they own and it was a real stifling time for independent film and after that Supreme Court ruling independent theaters were able to show whatever they wanted and studios didn't own everything from the top down were a little bit back into that world now there were certain laws that were allowed to expire because the supreme court decided well things are different now and we're probably okay and we're seeing a lot of that sort of vertical integration again now just in the vein of streaming services my point on all of that is especially when it comes to when it comes to black films the idea of if you've got individual streaming services that are catering to Uh, a specific uh, audience as far as a subscription group goes, the idea of wanting to have a variety of options that people have to come to you for. You want to get, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the new Tyler Perry thing. You want to get the new Issa Rae thing. Uh, You want to get the new Donald Glover TV show. Any uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's developer deal with Amazon, like all that stuff, people are Mm -hmm. getting that on lock. And I think to a certain extent, it has maybe helped uh, the development of, of exclusive talent, right? Oh, 10,000%. And I, personally, my prediction, even just with the idea of like city-centric uh, studios, is part of the reason why studios were allowed those provisions is because particularly, like, look at how lucrative the uh, movie industry is, particularly to the state of California. And that shutdown in four months lost them so much money. And as as the coasts are already kind of getting decentralized, like as it's getting decentralized and people are moving and migrating, you know, or there is like an inward migration that's happening. I genuinely think like, hey, I don't think the studios are going to be allowed to have that kind of power, um, even by that, that kind of power, even on a political level, because any smart politician would say, hey, you guys shutting your industry down cost our local economy $8 billion. You're not allowed. That, like, that's just like math 101 is like this kind of needs to get broken up a little bit. There needs to be more checks and balances. And I think that's going to allow for a true middle class of film to exist because, again, it's like why don't we have a bunch of one, two, three million dollar budget projects? Not everything yeah. needs to be 100 or 20 or 50. Some people can, like, and I think even Godzilla minus one doing what they did with their budget is like, there is, again, the opportunity and the ability for people to be able to do this at scale. 
And because the industry broke up like it did and, and, and it's having the ramifications that it's had, personally, my hope is, again, we see a wave of those one, two, three, those modest budgets. I think things like and, the Independent Film Festival help out uh, with the proliferation of that stuff. Go ahead, Melissa. I was just going to add, the recent film American Fiction touched on this too, so hopefully we, we will see more than just a struggle film, because black media is more than just a struggle. We, have to, we would like to see um, how we live our lives and everything else that we go through and everything else that we dream of, and so I'm looking forward to the day wherein um, black talent can really showcase everything that they have to offer and not just what the industry wants, which is typically just a struggle. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, We're just about out of time on this. I, and I, I didn't bring this up beforehand, so apologies if it's putting you on the spot and we can certainly edit this out. But uh, is, is there something uh, you want to recommend to people to watch, either something you've seen recently or a film that uh, you think is underrated that people should really take the time to check out? Uh, I, I just like for people to hear about movies that they should watch from other people. Yes, I'll go. Uh, touching back on American fiction, I watched that a couple of weeks ago and I absolutely loved it. They did a great job of touching on very dark and deep topics such as loss, but at the same time making you crack up within 30 seconds of that same topic. So I would highly recommend that film. David? Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, I don't. I think it's an underrated classic. I mean, I've, read, I've talked about it pretty much the whole time. Love Jones. If you've never seen Love Jones, you've never even heard of that movie, go watch that movie it was uh, it was criminally ahead of its time and uh i I mean just like i I hope because homie's still out there he decides to make another one also and if you're looking for something funny outlaw johnny black is hilarious Mm. oh my god outlaw johnny black go watch that movie it's fantastic yeah love jones outlaw johnny black Highly recommend. I'm adding both of those to my list. <laughs> We're going the list all the time. Hey guys, thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, really do appreciate your time and 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 your perspective and and uh, talking about a really cool night with Elvis Mitchell. Cool, right? Movies are cool. Magic is real. That's our little syndependent catchphrase. If you liked that, if you have enjoyed previous Cinda podcast shows, you can be a part of things. We love bringing new people into the fold, meeting folks, meeting movie fans, meeting filmmakers, everybody. We've got a number of events planned for the Cincinnati area coming up. Uh, Bachfest. Bachfest is March 1st. We're going to be marching in the Bachfest parade. We would love for you to join us there. That's in Over the Rhine around Findlay Market. Also on Friday, March 1st, on that same day, that is when VIP tickets to the 2024 Independent Film Festival go on sale. It's coming up in September, but VIP tickets go on sale Friday, March 1st. You can get in now. Reserve seating. You can do up to three days of VIP fest status. It's beyond cool. That's March 1st. Mark that down. Coming up on March 8th, we have the Rock Your Beauty Fashion Show at Cincinnati's Memorial Hall. That's being put on by our own Sean Bittner-Kearney. Independent founder and executive director Allison West is doing a specially curated women's film block during that event. Tickets for that are on memorialhallotr.com. Do have one other event coming up we want to tell you about. Sunday, March 10th, that's the Academy Awards. And we're going to be doing a watch party for the Academy Awards at the Highmark Bar in Cincinnati. We're going to be dressing up, guessing who's going to win what award. Go poor things. That movie's amazing. 
really, really, really looking forward to that. Again, that's March 10th, the Academy Award watch party at the Highmark Bar. Thank you to the OTR International Film Festival. Thank you to T.T. Sternenzi for putting things together. Thank you to Elvis Mitchell for being cool and coming to Cincinnati to show your movie. That documentary, Is That Black Enough For You, is streaming on Netflix. Thank you to Sean Bittner-Kearney for being fearless during uh, our time at that screening. Thanks again to Melissa Iwu and David Shimasoro. Thank you to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for helping me put this show together. For everything you need to know about the Independent Film Festival, go to sindependentfilmfest.org. I'm Jack Crumley. Thank you for listening. Yeah.